0: Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com.au slash podcast. That's G O. M-A-R-K-E-T-S.com.au slash podcast or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au
1: Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions, nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at GoMarkets.com.au.
0: In this episode, we spoke with Karen Wong. Karen is a private FX and equities trader, Sydney Chapter Secretary of the Australian Technical Analyst Association, and a technical contributor for guppytraders.com. Karen's entire career has been focused on private trading across primarily equities markets and contributing to technical communities like Guppy Traders, which I think has given her a unique perspective in this industry. Her technical analysis is regularly used to help the community pursue the development of this specialty, particularly with her engagement in the Sydney ATAA chapter. This is a great chat that uncovers the perspective of private traders, which cover topics such as her background and how she got into trading, her trading principles, methods, and indicators, fundamentals and technical analysis, and how to utilize technical analysis and its key principles. If you enjoy this episode, do subscribe on your podcast app, and if you have a friend that maybe enjoys technical analysis, consider sharing this with them. But with all that being said, let's get into this episode with Karen Wong. Karen, we got there. Thank you yeah, so much know, for finally, joining me. Yes, I'm, I know. I'm here. <laughs> Technology these days, huh? I know, I know. <laughs> um, now i got to ask, it was quite interesting looking at your background Um, Mm -hmm. and I was going through and I I do love doing this with with all, I guess, but I want to start off with sort of your early life, I guess. I I know you (laughs) spent your formative years in Sydney, at least from your (laughs) LinkedIn profile, it seems (laughs) you did most of your studies there. I'm curious as to what's sort of the earliest memory of your childhood?
1: Oh, my earliest memory probably I remember making my first friend at school. It was the first day of kindergarten. We were waiting in the principal's office with our mums and I said to her, you know, what's your name? What are you having for play lunch? And I said, I'm <laughs> having a banana. Now I'm not sure why I had the banana, because if there's one fruit I can't stand it's bananas. But really? anyway, <laughs> yes, yes. So anyway, um, that friend, Eva, is still a good friend to this day. So it's been a long, wow. long friendship that's lasted over 40 years.
0: Wow. Yeah. When did the two of you meet? At, at primary school?
1: At primary school on the first day of kindergarten.
0: Wow. Yeah, there and we're st-
1: we still keep up with each other regularly.
0: That's, that's quite rare. I mean, I if I think rare. back to yeah. even high school, I, I probably only keep in touch with two or three people. And that was, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. I know, that's, it's really hard. Really Everyone's
1: busy and that kind of thing, but she lives a couple of suburbs away, so that makes it a bit easier. Yeah. But not that it makes a difference because sometimes <laughs> you can live down the street from somebody and still don't see them.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious then as you were growing up and and you were building friendships with, with people like Eva, mm. was it? Yes, um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is there a particular lesson that you've learned from either of your parents that sort of stuck with you today, like maybe a principle of some kind that they taught you directly or indirectly at all?
1: Oh, my dad used to say things like, oh, don't trust anyone. They're all robbers. But I think that's kind of stuck for life, but I don't think that's a good thing. But uh, (laughs) I say on the positive side, uh, there's one lesson, my Dad was always telling me, anything that you do, no matter how big or small, do it properly. So I found that um, when you do things properly, you're more likely to get a better result. So um, I like filling in my Google calendar for the day. So when I do that, I get a lot more things done. So it's like tick, 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 oh, I've done that, done that. So also in trading, if I follow my plan properly, then less things go wrong.
0: Mm, interesting. Mm. so you're because of that, you're sort of um, was your dad very like was he into making lists or or having his calendar all set up or or anything like that?
1: No, I think he used to observe me as a child thinking, you're not doing things properly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so can you just do things properly? So as I grew older and I learned more things, I thought, yeah, I think that's the way to go. Do everything that's, properly.
0: That's really interesting mm. because I feel like. Being conscientious like that is crucial to being good in the investment world because part of that is being able to distill decisions down to, you know, to the point that you can remove all emotion and Mm, it's just a checklist.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's really interesting. So, he sort of shaped you that way.
1: Yeah, he could see. In a way, yeah, I know, I know. It's it's a good thing. It's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, definitely. Mm.
0: Um, now your your career. I think you've you've done a lot of study. Mm-hmm. Uh, commerce. You're a CPA. Am I right in saying that? Yes,
1: yes. I am a
0: Gra- CPA. Graduate certificate in applied finance with mm-hmm. Finzia and you hold a diploma of technical analysis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think from memory, it seems you spent. A little bit of time working at the Australian Museum, but most of your career focused on accounting and trading. That's
1: right. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: How did you fall into all of this? Like, you know, if you look at your career, CPA, you know, graduate certificate in finance, it sort of seemed like you'd be the type that would move towards wealth planning or accounting or something like that. Oh,
1: yes, yeah. How
0: did you fall into this?
1: Yeah, I think fall is probably a good word to describe (laughs) it. (laughs) I I was at home with two kids, two very young kids, and I thought, well, I don't want to go back to work full-time. So I thought, oh, what can I do from home which can allow me to do other things as well? Uh, So back in the early 2000s, uh, social media wasn't really a big money-making business like we know mm. today. I mean, the Facebook website was only launched in like, I think, 2004. And there was like no Instagram stars or anything back then. Um, not that I have a, a like a goal to be one, but uh, there were limited opportunities to make money from home. So it was actually my husband who suggested that trading shares would be ideal for me. So off I went to the local Angus and Robertson bookstore and I bought my first trading book and it all went from there.
0: Um, Do you remember the name of this first book?
1: I do. It's uh, Share Trading by Daryl Guppy.
0: Daryl Guppy. Daryl Guppy, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you you ended up becoming a contributing writer for Daryl. That's so funny. I
1: know. I mean, that day when I looked at that book on that bookshelf, I didn't think, yep. One day I want to work with him. Yep, <laughs> it's just amazing <laughs> it's wow. where things can lead you to.
0: And so you, you got this book, and sort of talk us through those first, I guess, few weeks or months of of learning about this. Like, how did what sort of was the thing that enticed you to stick with it?
1: I probably. It's sometimes trading can be thought of as something that can be mundane and boring but because I was reading this book by Daryl Guppy he incorporates stories and little things like that and it just made it really interesting and I thought I really want to do this so uh, that led me to buy more of his books and learning more about
0: it interesting mm. so it's literally just pure interest you pure were fascinated interest, by that first pure
1: passion that got ignited and off I went <laughs>
0: Wow. Yeah. Because for me, the reason I ask is for mm-hmm. me, the way that I fell into this world is mm-hmm. I was at, um, gosh, where well, I, I feel like I was at university at the time. I know I was yep. trading at university. Yeah. And the thing that got me was um, reading Zero Hedge, which is a bit of a skeptic news website when it comes mm-hmm. to the uh, economics. And um, obviously, I'm not much as a fa- of a fan as it now. But that was what got me interested in trading Mm -hmm. in particular. And first it was shares and then it was things like oil futures. I used to love trading on IG markets and I remember spending so much time (laughs) during lectures just looking at uh, what was going on in the markets as opposed to what was going on in my textbook. Oh, there you go. That's Um, where
1: your interest was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it sort of stemmed from there. Was there – what was the first sort of – Equity or derivative that you started trading?
1: Oh, there was it was a it was a biotech one. <laughs> Just trying to remember which one it was
0: now. Of course, it was. Yeah, It's always, <laughs> it's always the more always exciting biotech, ones. <laughs> yeah, biotech or tech companies or or small cap stocks as well.
1: Yeah, I remember the biotech, and I remember trading it. It was like my first trade. I bought it, and it went up, and I thought. Hmm wow, I made a profit and then I sold it. And then I thought, oh, let me buy it again. And then my husband saw that and he said, what are you doing? You've you've made a profit, but you've gone back in again. I thought, oh, really? So I didn't really <laughs> get it at first. So that was a little yeah. bit of a beginner mistake, like thinking, oh, yeah, i got the profit, I'll take that, and then I'm going to get back in.
0: Well, that was one of the interesting things to me because you're self-taught, so mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. much via books and seminars. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Now you, it seems that you largely trade the ASX and the Singapore Stock Exchange. Is that still true? Do you have like uh, a focus in particular? Uh,
1: not the Singapore one, but the Shanghai.
0: Ah, oh, Shanghai. Yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. Shang, mm-hmm. Shanghai Stock Exchange.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you're a contributing, I guess, contributor. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> to the um to Guppy Trades still, and yep. mm-hmm. you're acting secretary for the Sydney chapter of the Australian Technical Analysts Association. So you've come a long way. I'm curious, what were sort of the steps of your learning along the way? If you look at it back in hindsight now, do you view it in different stages or you know what were the different moments and pivots that got you to where you are now?
1: For a while, when I first started in 2003, I was trading on and off. So it didn't really come together at first, mm. um, I started doing things like setting up spreadsheets and that helped as well because then you could keep track of all your trades and I think that was a really useful thing to do. Mm. I uh, just kept reading books. I kept going to seven. I kept putting the little bits and pieces together. I can't say at what stage it all came together and I don't think it ever really does because you're always learning mm. and you're always, uh, you know, adjusting what you do.
0: yeah that's that's sort of uh, you mentioned that in it's mentioned in one of your blurbs about mm. viewing this as sort of a continuous cycle as opposed like to you know yeah, yeah. You, as opposed to trying to get to one specific goal and then well, what do you do after that? It's like when you bought and sold the uh, the first biotech stock yes. or you sold it <laughs> yeah. you mm-hmm. need you need to keep moving on.
1: Yeah, I mean, you Um, make mistakes, you learn, you move on. Uh, You try to not make the same mistakes again, although there are mistakes that you will make from time to time because no one's perfect.
0: Mm. Mm. And what does your day-to-day look like or week-to-week look like now?
1: My day-to-day? I get up around (laughs) seven-ish, although I have to say this week I was moving the clock five minutes later and later (laughs) (laughs) before I got out of bed because I was going to bed so late. I usually have breakfast by about 8 o'clock. Then I go out for exercise, like either a walk or a, like a 1.5K swim kind of thing, either either of those. Mm-hmm. Um, after that I come back, I'm ready to start the working day, whether it's uh, checking charts of stocks or writing an article. Mm-hmm. Uh, my lunchtime, uh, that can sometimes go on a bit longer than it should. Um, <laughs> that's when I use Google Calendar to organise myself and that usually fixes it. So because I'm a very rules-based person, if the Google – Google says to me, lunchtime's between twelve and one, then that's it. I'm finished at one. Yeah. Uh, usually after that, after lunch I'll read a book, whether that be a finance book, a fiction or nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. Uh, around mid afternoon I check the Forex charts for okay. any opportunities leading up to the London market open. And in between all of this is like boring housework stuff. uh mm-hmm like sometimes going to the shops for groceries. So actually every day can be different. Like, for example, things might crop up and I don't actually get to my computer at all in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you need a lot of discipline when you work from home.
0: Yeah. Mm, Oh, absolutely. Mm. I I, I speak with absolute experience on I mean I only work from home in the morning and go in, in the afternoon to the office but mm-hmm, yep. yeah you need to be very very rigid because it's it's easy to find yourself slacking so easily like said, to get that,
1: distracted yeah <laughs> yeah that
0: that little 5 minutes oh I'll just sleep in another 5 minutes oh I'll just bump my alarm no, another just 5 sit minutes
1: downstairs and get some more to eat because I'm a bit hungry <laughs> bit peckish
0: <laughs> exactly mm. well, so if you look at your day then how much time do you think is focus on trading? Like, are you looking at a one hour to two hour window in the morning and afternoon and night?
1: It's nothing really set. Uh, if it's in the morning, it might be up to an hour. I might check some charts. If I have time, I might do some scans as well. Uh, in the afternoon, sometimes Forex can be like half an hour, one hour, or it, sometimes I see something within the first 10 minutes of opening a chart. So, it depends if the opportunities are there or not. And then sometimes you're just not there at the right time when something's happening. Yeah. And uh, But I don't have time to sit in front of the computer for like two hours in the afternoon <laughs> to look for an opportunity <laughs> to trade. So it's either there or it's not.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've you said before that you focus on equities Are there other markets right now that you – Look at you! you've mentioned FX as well.
1: Yes. Uh, no, I've never tried anything like the commodities or the futures or anything like that.
0: Okay. And so why why would you be looking at Forex markets in particular? Is it that you're trading them or you're just curious as to where the Aussie dollar is going?
1: Oh, I'm actually trading them. I, yeah. I came across a webinar and it got me interested and I thought, oh, it looks very exciting and all the flashing, you know, uh, prices of all the Forex pairs and everything, I thought I'd really like to learn that and I'd really like to to try it and see how it goes. I know I've heard a lot of stories. It's very hard and it is difficult. I um, opened up a demo account and started off that way and watching webinars and then just doing things like that and then refining it. And it's taken me a couple of years actually to to really get more to taking money out of the market than not. So, it's hmm. taken a while and, it, and I have to say it is hard. It is hard.
0: Yeah. Now, I'm, it gets me curious talking about specific markets, your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've had, it seems, extensive experience now trading privately mm-hmm. and managing risk for yourself. How would you, I guess, if you, if you could condense it in a few minutes, how would you view your general principles for trading? Like if you met a total mm-hmm. newbie, yep. they asked mm-hmm. you what you were doing and uh, you wanted to explain how you go about it, how would you do that for the audience?
1: Just putting it very generally as a like a general framework without getting into too much of the detail, I would say that say if you choose, like trading stocks, you should choose stocks that are going up using your preferred indicators. Uh, entry price is Probably not the most important part of the trade. So I wouldn't spend too much time haggling over it. I think just get in. And before you open any trade, you have to know where you plan to get out. That is like your target profit. And Mm -hmm. I usually, I usually aim for about 10 to 15% above the entry price. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if it goes well, the trade can stay open for longer. Uh, You have to also know where your stop loss will be. And that's where you will get out if you're wrong. So you need all these prices in place that you know exactly what you're going to do, what decision you'll make at that certain time.
0: Hmm. And let's say you're focused on that 10 to 15% mm-hmm. um, for yep. each trade. What are you doing for the downside with your stop loss? Are you focused on 5%, 10% or is there is there something else there that you're thinking about?
1: probably like a what they call the risk-to-reward ratio where you risk $1 to gain $1. So it will have to be at least one-to-one. So if I'm aiming for the 10%, the loss that I'm thinking of will be about 10%. Okay.
0: Mm. Interesting. So you're willing to, to, to risk an even amount for yes. the trade? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. I think that's sort of uh, the general principles that you find in a lot of these specific books mm. that come out now. Mm-hmm you've got to have a process. Yes. Is there particular indicators or uh, other elements? We'll get into technical analysis soon, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious maybe for the audience perspective, are there particular methods or indicators that you're regularly using?
1: My – method is quite simple and especially in this market in the last year or so it's been pretty bullish I've been using the guppy multiple moving average so there's a short-term lot and there's a long-term lot so I use that as my main indicator as to whether a stock is in an uptrend or not Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I used to have like back years ago when I was first I used to have like up to five indicators on the chart you know, like MACD or RSI or things like that. But I really, as I've had more experience, I've just really simplified it and I've yeah. gone down to something really basic.
0: Now, why why is that?
1: I find it makes things simpler and I don't think that the strategy is necessarily the most important thing to success.
0: Huh. Interesting. What do you think is the most important thing to success? To success? To success?
1: Uh it has to be the management of the trade trade management that's what i would say really so i think that you can have a lot of different strategies out there and depending how you manage your profit how you manage your stops that kind of thing i mean this this is generally speaking i don't say it works every time but just from for my own personal situation
0: yeah that hmm. that, that is but it's similar it's very similar to the mindset of hmm. uh like, so I, I'm a big follower of value investing. I, I predominantly yep. focus mm-hmm. on stocks and the fundamentals within them. Yep. But that sounds very familiar because the idea is that you want to maximize the prevention of loss. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is maximizing the profit or their focus on profit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in a in value investing mindset, all you want to do is make sure you get a pretty good return. And so long as you don't lose that money over mm-hmm. the long run, mm-hmm. you're going to compound that money and do pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it sort of sounds similar to what you're doing. So you're, f- you know, focused more on not losing that money, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Trying to preserve my capital.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Capital preservation that's is absolutely it. crucial. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Now, getting into fundamental versus technical analysis, we haven't really spoken too much about this. So I'm. I read mm-hmm. a, a really interesting piece which we'll get into in a moment, but I, I'm curious, you know, some of the audience may not have heard of it. I expect most will, but maybe we can just touch base on what is the difference between fundamental and technical analysis for the audience?
1: Mm. Fundamental analysis is probably more long-term uh, based on financial ratios and company reports. Uh Technical analysis looks at price patterns and price movements to predict the future. Uh, Technical analysis, uh, to me, is more useful in the short-term setting because decisions are made on market behavior. I think there probably can be a place for both types of analysis. Mm. If I I buy a stock for the longer term, and I know it is fundamentally known to be a good stock, I, I will always look at the chart. So, it doesn't matter how good a stock is fundamentally. If the chart doesn't look good, then it's a big no from me.
0: Mm. Mm. And why do you think when you were first starting out that you sort of gravitated to, towards more technical analysis? Because you you often get that in the industry. People are often very technical or fundamentally focused. Mm, mm-hmm. Sometimes you get an in-between, but, you know, it's sort yep. of like politics, you know? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Well, fundamental analysis to me involves a lot of research, a lot of reading company reports, uh, uh, just keeping up to date with things and also analysing those ratios and stuff like that. Um, I find that my time is very limited, so I found that technical is a bit simpler in a sense that I can find all the information I need to make a trade that just on the chart in front of me. Mm. And also I'm a very visual person, so... um, I like looking at charts. I like seeing those patterns. I like seeing the trend lines and the support and resistance lines.
0: Interesting. Yeah. It, 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 I, I don't know why, but it's one of those things that I just, um. I feel like I used to focus on it, but I just don't as mm-hmm. much now. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting you say that you were intrigued by it because of, you know, your visual learning.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: That's quite interesting. i mean um, that-
1: yeah, at one stage I was a design assistant for an Australian fashion company, so I just really? love. Yeah, I've got, I've had so, so many things, in, like, in my career, but uh, I'm just a visual person, so I like looking at. I could look at charts, you know, till the cows come home, that kind of thing. I just love looking at charts.
0: <laughs> well, it was interesting because before this uh, interview, because we're going to interview, um, we plan to, but mm-hmm. I think he's. Um, his wife is very pregnant, and I think maybe <laughs> off to the hospital at the moment. Is one of the directors in the UK for Go Markets and talking about technical analysis because he's probably the guy internally mm-hmm. at Go Markets for this, um, Adam Taylor, that is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he, uh, we, you know, I was building up for the research towards his interview, and I read this fascinating piece called "Support for Resistance." And that was by Carol Osler. She no longer works there. It was quite some time ago, like early 2000s. Um, but w- it was when she was at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. So she focused on technical analysis and how applicable it is. Um, her estimation, it seems, was mainly focused on foreign exchange, where it's where it's very applicable. I'm curious as to where else you think technical analysis can be utilised and where it can't be utilised? Like it, do you think mm. it can be used on any asset class or not?
1: I, I personally think it can be used on any asset class. Uh, I use, I think Carol Osler said that, was it her that said that uh, she thought technical analysis is applicable predominantly in the foreign exchange assets on an intraday level? Yeah, and actually, that's the way that I trade forex. So I kind of I, I agree with that um, that statement that she says. So that works for me with forex. I th- think that technical analysis works across all the asset classes, uh, including Bitcoin, actually. I actually wrote an article on uh, the application of te- technical analysis on Bitcoin and I found that it did work. I mean, you could see the patterns, you can see lines like we would any chart. And if you took away the chart labeling on the Bitcoin chart, it could look like the chart of a stock on any exchange in the world.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned Bitcoin. Has that been an asset class that you've considered at all?
1: I considered it in my head. <laughs> That's all it went. It didn't go any further than that. I just uh, did it for the article and I just had a look at the charts and just to see uh, what was happening. But it's not something that I would take on anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Mm. What if you were to like condense into a few words, I guess, what, what are sort of the general principles for technical analysis that you? have aimed to further through organizations like the ATAA or through your contribution via Guppy Traders as well?
1: The general principles for yeah. technical analysis. Yeah. Through the ATAA, uh, we always try to provide a starting point uh, for traders or a foundation for beginner traders. Uh, we also try to provide new ideas to more established traders so with any principles of technical analysis, we, uh, we often employ special guest speakers uh, at each monthly meeting. So uh, it can either point you to something that's different that you've never heard before or it can uh, reinforce something that you might have learnt and you'd like to uh, maybe put that back into your trading plans.
0: Mm.
1: It's, it's good... Uh, because we have monthly meetings as well, a special interest group that discusses and analyzes charts. So in terms of technical analysis and learning the principles, it's good because you get to meet other traders because, you know, trading is a lonely job and, you know, being able to join a community with other traders is quite good. Uh, In terms of contribution through Guppy Traders, uh, I usually write articles that show an actual FX or equity trade. Using hmm. a technical analysis techniques uh, which readers can follow and learn from. Okay. You um, know, recently published article I compared different methods of taking profit during a trade to see which method like was the best, the one that maximized the most profit. So in the end, I kind of came to the conclusion that you know there's no perfect way, but uh, it's interesting to see the possibilities.
0: That's interesting that you take that mindset because so many people, when they follow this stuff, Mm. um, they're very dogmatic. So I like I I do appreciate your viewpoint on that because, uh, (laughs) like I said, a lot of people can just get very one-eyed on certain. I know you know trading uh, indicators, fundamentals, whatever it is. So that's quite interesting. Um, we're running out of time, mm-hmm. so yep, okay. I've, got to, I've got to switch us over to some short, fast questions to finish off. Mm-hmm. First question is if you had $100 million and you could create any project or build anything or do anything, mm-hmm. what would you do with that money?
1: That's a lot of money, $100 million. <laughs> There's so much you could do with that money. That's a lot of money. Uh, I'd have to say I would use it in a more humanitarian kind of way rather than something for myself. I think I would like to use the money to rebuild a city like in a war-torn country, you know, somewhere like Syria or something like that. That's hmm. where I would put my money into, something like that.
0: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, best purchase under two hundred dollars.
1: Oh, I'm always shopping. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> what can I choose? <laughs> I would have to say my white Muji sneakers.
0: White Muji? Did you say Mugi,
1: Muji? M U J I. It's a Japanese, ah, I Japanese. I know Japanese brand. My white Muji sneakers. I wore them all winter.
0: Okay. And
1: it's like I didn't own any other shoe in my cupboard. <laughs> it was like that. It was just the most used shoe <laughs> over the They're, last winter.
0: It's an amazing brand, Muji, isn't it? I know. Um,
1: I love going uh, there.
0: I've been to Japan twice in the last um, year as well. They've they've got a Muji down here in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and uh, it it's it's amazing. It keeps expanding because they've just got so much good stuff, and people just keep going back and back.
1: I know it's so um, simple, but it's effective.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just really well-made products that are affordable and like no branding. So it's yeah, just, I know. Uh,
1: it's I know, great. It's great. It's great. Um,
0: if you were to think about one book, the most influential book, and you were to gift it to the audience for Christmas, what would it be?
1: I don't think I would give just one book
0: because okay. when
1: when I give a gift, I usually think about the person that's receiving the gift. Yeah. So. Uh, Usually, well, I would gift a book to the reader, something that would suit them, like whether it's a book on war because they're interested in war or fashion because they're interested in fashion or cooking.
0: Okay. So so, so I you... can't
1: pick just one book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you, But if you were to pick a book that had a lot of impact on you personally, is there any one that comes to mind at all?
1: Well, I have to tell you one book that um, – was very interesting, which was kind of disturbing as well, which is called The Long Walk by Stephen okay. King. Oh, really? And he wrote under the pseudonym name of Richard Buckman. Okay. So it's this interesting story about a group of teenage boys who join this competition to walk this route. And they have to maintain a speed of four miles per hour. And you're not allowed to stop for anything. Okay. So you're just continually walking and you're not allowed to sleep. You're not allowed, I mean, you can eat, but you have to keep walking and you have to keep maintaining this speed of four miles per hour. And if you violate, violate any rules or anything, you get three warnings and then after that you get shot. Wow. So it's kind of like a life and death kind of situation.
0: Wow. So it's sort of like a dystopian novel.
1: Yeah. So the prize at the end is anything you want for the rest of your life. Wow, <laughs> a high price to pay if you don't get there.
0: <laughs> that's that's super interesting. Is this a recent Stephen King book? I feel like no, maybe no, it's, no, it's been quite old.
1: It's quite old. Yeah, I think back from nineteen seventy or something, but it's not written under his name.
0: Richard Butman. Wow. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's super fascinating. Well, we'll make sure we link that for the audience. Um, mm-hmm. We've hit our thirty minutes. I'm going to say thank you very much for doing this with us after all the uh, technical issues we had.
1: Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: and um, yeah, looking forward to um, to putting this out for for those listening right now. And um, where can they find you on the interwebs? I guess where social media, they- LinkedIn, etc.
1: They can find me on LinkedIn if they Can't. just type in Karen Wong, Guppy Traders. Oh, they can colour. find me on the ATAA website. Yep. Under the Sydney Chapter Counselors.
0: Okay. And they can also go register at the ATAA if they.
1: A- oh, ATAA. ATAA. <laughs> <laughs> put a few extra letters in there.
0: <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube by searching GoMarkets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.